Hey, this is Josh. I want to encourage you to sign up for the information mailing list specifically for the conversation with Father Laird. I'm assuming this is not going to happen at the beginning of July with the pacing that I'm working through the book with you. So if this is something that you want to dive into, we already have a good group that have signed up, but what you have is an opportunity to let me know what time zone you're in because we have listeners from all around the world. And again, I apologize that we might end up with a time and a day that not everyone is available for, especially in the craziness of this quarantine. But I want to do the best I can. I've emailed Father Laird and I hope he has a set schedule already. And uh, we'll get this scheduled. So please sign up. You'll find a pop-up for the sign-up form on the website if you just log into invitationpodcast.org. should take you directly to it. Hello, this is Josh. We're going to continue with our seventh part, seventh step reading through a sunlit absence, silence, awareness, and contemplation. And in this installment, we are diving into chapter three, which is titled Open Porches of the Mind. It has been bewildering week or so for me certain portions of my community are opening up I was able to meet with a friend outside have a beer last week in Grand Rapids so that felt kind of normal but we were ushered in by a masked a large masked man (laughs) and socially distanced and the servers did not get close to our table. We've been to the beach a couple times here and I've noticed the closer we get to the water, uh, there's more people wandering around on the streets and it feels less and less like we've been in quarantine. I don't know how you have been observing these suggested guidelines for safety. My family has been pretty strict in our observance, especially with three small children and my middle child, myself. We are uh, immunodeficient, so we have to be especially careful. And then, of course, the national conversation on race If you are a somewhat new listener to the podcast and you're somewhat bewildered by the way that I am incorporating questions of justice, uh, critiques of racism, the way that I'm bringing anything that has to do 
with politics into this sacred space of prayer, you might be surprised. The mission of the Invitation Podcast is a practice of spiritual direction that's invigorated by the movements of the Holy Spirit in a prison. So if you haven't listened to my conversation with Chris Hoke that was published in the last 10 days, I invite you to go and listen to that. Chris is a dear friend who serves as director of underground ministries in Washington State, which is a prison chaplaincy, as well as a new developing re-entry program for ex-convicts. I shared with Chris in this last episode with him that Father Laird has a practice of contemplative prayer in a prison as well. So both Chris and I are rejoicing to have a mentor, a teacher of sorts, who has gone before us to understand these connections between the deeper formation inside of us and that that formation is both the justice inside of ourselves and the justice outside of ourselves. We can't have one without the other. And in fact, this chapter three will help us get at this notion that silence leads us to justice. As we finished up chapter two, we considered the idea that the opposite of silence is not action. The opposite of silence is reaction. And what we're seeing in the way that especially the majority race of white people, the way that some of our friends and family are reacting to this possibility, this question of, oh my goodness, we, we're not a racist country. That's, that's not an accurate description of America. When they're introduced to the vocabulary of Black Lives Matter, what we are witnessing is many layers many varieties of reaction. So before we get into the book, I want to offer you some guidance into our practice of calming ourselves. We've been practicing the Jesus prayer and the form of the Jesus prayer that we're attending to is just simply reciting the sacred holy name of Jesus. The longer form is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's, of course, very helpful. But as we're just trying to approach this, we're all potentially coming from different denominational backgrounds, different spiritualities. We can all agree in the importance of the sacred name of Jesus. So as you calm yourself, as you come to a place of quiet, I invite you to notice where there is tension in your body to notice your breath if you're anxious. Even as I bring up questions of race, there's a chance that your breath quickened. What science tells us about the breath is that as a culture in the United States, we breathe too much. We take in too much oxygen. And when we take in too much oxygen, what we're telling our body is that there is danger at hand. If a bear were to come and to threaten you, of course, you'd start breathing fast and quick. You'd run, you'd, you'd become anxious. And in that 
quicker, shorter breaths. We're telling our body danger. The sympathetic response of the out-breath is the key here. We take in the breath, saying the sacred name of Jesus, and then follow that out-breath, saying Jesus. As you breathe in, Jesus, we're putting on the life of Christ. And as we breathe out slowly, we are surrendering ourselves. We are coming to a posture of stillness and repose. As you breathe in and out, I invite you to especially pay attention to that out breath as you exhale to come to a place of relaxation. And as I've suggested before, we're aiming for that posture that we might have right before we fall asleep. But we are in a posture of uprightness and attention so that we're not going to fall asleep. In with Jesus. Out with Jesus. Amen. So the opposite of the contemplative life is not the active life. It is the reactive life. And as we look at chapter 3, the open porches of the mind, we're considering how silence reveals the anxiety and the reactivity that is inside of ourselves, that otherwise in our busyness is hidden and covered over. So in this first section, I'll point out just a few sentences that are key. I can't cover every word. If you wanted a reading completely of the whole book, you should get the audio book. <laughs> but page 44, Father says, Silence is not simply about the absence of sound waves. It is concerned with attention and awareness. Silence and awareness are in fact one thing. Then he offers us a Wallace Stevens poem, 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird. I do not know which to prefer, the beauty of inflections or the beauty of innuendos, the blackbird whistling or just after. Good poetry draws our attention in through silence pay attention to each word and phrase. Here's another one he quotes from Robert Penn Warren, the famous poem, The Enclave. Out of the silence, the saying, into the silence, the said, thus silence in timelessness gives forth time and receives it again. And I lie in darkness and hear the wind of the sea heave. 
again, the point here is that there is only so much that we can see in the world around us. There's only so much we can be aware of and attentive to unless we come to a place of stillness. Father Laird continues on page 45. As vital as physical silence is for opening up the depth of the present moment, silence does much more than simply tiptoe around. Its essence has little to do with the absence of sound waves, for silence has no opposite. Its embrace is wide and generous enough to receive all, both sound and the absence of sound. The practice of contemplation gradually reveals the capital S silent, capital P presence, flowing through the mud and reeds and rushes of both noise and sound. Without doubt, regular periods of physical silence plays a crucial role in the spiritual life. It must be cultivated and reverenced. That's what we're attempting to do here with this summer reading and practice is to cultivate this. If you haven't noticed already in some of my information as I update, my challenge for you this summer is to practice five to ten minutes, no more, no less, of wordless prayer a day, especially as we prepare for our conversation with Father Laird, hopefully here at the end of June, if not early July. Our best questions will come not out of our reading, but actually out of our practice. As we've said before, a book cannot teach us to pray. A book can just lead us to the place where we have the courage and faith to actually pray, and it's only by praying and letting the Holy Spirit be our teacher that we grow in prayer. So this is our attempt this summer of cultivating and revering silence. So on page 46, under the subheading, Some Varieties of Silence, not all silence is the same. There is the awkward silence of the road trip with someone we do not know quite well enough to be silent next to, the refrigerating silence of hardened anger, the reverential silence of dogwoods in winter, the vast silence of a cathedral, the focused silence of absorption in our sewing or a good book, the stunned silence of seeing the status of our pension fund, each features physical silence, the absence of sound waves, but the silence is merely the outer form of other dynamics. In the spiritual life, silence is characterized by a powerfully searching and subtle dynamic. If we know how to dwell in physical silence, then silence becomes not a threat, but attractive, nurturing, and liberating. The powerful attraction of something as utterly simple as silence, is well attested throughout the contemplative tradition. The following is a good example of how silence is not simply concerned with a buttoned lip or a cold shoulder. The 14th century Augustinian friar and spiritual writer, Jordan of Saxony, not only shaped the spiritualities of his own religious community, but also stood on the shoulders of countless saints and sages 
who have witnessed to what silence does other than make no noise. He presumes that any community that seeks God together is going to have places where, quote, silence should be observed. From this silence, peace of mind is born. Advance in studies is promoted. Devout contemplation takes its beginnings. Furthermore, according to the words of the prophet, the cultivation of justice is silence. Isaiah 32, 17. Through silence, a brother begins to cultivate and practice justice, by which virtue he is informed so as to live his own life honestly, not to harm others and to give each one his due. Such formation as this carries anyone so formed on to the state of perfection. On the other hand, from the breakdown of silence, disturbance of mind arise. Quarrels are born. Strife. End quote. Notice all the things silence does other than be quiet. Silence is real enough to be afraid of, but when integrated into an environment and a way of living, it calms and gradually integrates us into it. Jordan of Saxony sees the generative power of silence. Its children are, quote, peace of mind and, quote, cultivation of justice, end quote. This peace is not the opposite of turmoil, but the ground of both turmoil and tranquility. Moreover, silence is formative and developmental. It leads us to, quote, perfection, end quote. That is to say, it draws us to completion or wholeness. The breakdown of silence, environmental, generative, or developmental, has dire consequences, an increase in anxiety and quarrels, which fuels the sense of alienation from ourselves, from God, and from those with whom we live. Like many spiritual masters before and after him, Jordan of Saxony knows the cost of the loss of silence in one's living environment, in one's prayer life. The 20th century Swiss psychoanalyst C.G. Jung apparently knew this, and today medicine has discovered the practice of contemplation to be an effective de-stressor with direct bearing on weight control, blood pressure, and much more. We could insert here how uh, the practice of mindfulness has grown vast and wide. Uh, there are apps, uh, Headspace, for example, and many people are practicing mindfulness in the professional workspace as well as in the public schools and prisons. Continuing with Father Laird, there is a story told of how Young used silence to help one of his patients become aware of the cause of his problems. Complaining of general anxiety, but unable to identify what he was anxious about, the client did not give Young much to work with. Young suggested he go home and spend the evenings alone and see what came up before their next appointment the following week. The man returned and told Young that he had enjoyed the evenings alone at home. He had read a novel he had been meaning to read for months and listened to symphonies he had not enjoyed for years. Young said, quote, Ah, I didn't mean go home and read or listen to music just now. 
I meant go home during the evenings and just be silent, end quote. And so the man went home and did just that. When he returned the following week, he had plenty that he could begin to talk about. The silence had begun to draw out some of the problems that underlay this man's anxiety so that he could now begin to address them. Silence is sometimes like a poultice placed over a sore to draw out infection as part of the healing process. So if you'll indulge me, I want to take a turn from the text here and offer you some of the context around the desert tradition. We've been reading about Evagrius of Pontus. Father Laird quotes him quite often, especially in the last chapter. The Abbas and the Amas of the desert, the fathers and the mothers, these characters like Evagrius or Abba Pullman or Abba Moses, St. Anthony was the first of these that we have record of who went out to the desert. And it's known that St. Anthony went into a cave in the desert and lived there praying for 20 years. And it's understood that he was there to fight the demons that were inside of him. And we could talk about these demons as literal demons, the larger context within the desert tradition is to think about these forces that pulse inside of ourselves, the dark forces, what the desert teachers call the passions. Father Laird referenced this with Evagrius in chapter 2. So as we just read Young's encouragement to this patient to discover what was hidden inside of himself, the suggested treatment was to go home and to remain silent. There's something about the silence that is a kind of mirror or a light that reveals these darker passions that otherwise remain hidden. So these early desert dwellers turn out to be our earliest psychologists who have a very profound understanding of what pushes and pulls, what pulses and hums inside of ourselves and why would they pay such specific attention to these details? Not for some sort of navel-gazing, self-promoting egotism, but to identify the roots of sin and darkness, the very obstacles to prayer and to understanding and opening to more of God. One of Evagrius's most celebrated students, John Cassian, who outlines for us a list of the vices, the passions that humans struggle with. And here's a little sample of Evagrius discussing the way that these vices, these passions are interrelated. Cassian writes, Although the eight passions, then, have different origins and varying operations, yet the first six, namely gluttony, fornication, avarice, anger, sadness, and acedia are connected among themselves by a certain affinity and, so to speak, interlinking, such that the overflow of the previous one serves as the start of the next one. So he's showing how these passions, these vices, are a wicked web that are threaded together, they're integrated inside of us. 
for from an excess of gluttony, there inevitably springs fornication. From fornication, avarice. From avarice, anger. From anger, sadness. And from sadness, acedia. Acedia, for those of you that aren't familiar, is not quite like depression. It can be tied into depression. Some later just list it as sadness. The monks called it the noonday demon of listlessness. This would be the lack of any spiritual energy, the lack of any desire to pray. Cassian continues, Therefore, these must be fought against in a similar way and by the same method, and we must always attack the ones that follow by beginning with those that come before. For a tree whose width and height are harmful will more easily wither up if its roots, which support it, are exposed and cut beforehand, and pestilential waters will dry up when the rising source and rushing streams have been stopped up with skillful labor. In order to conquer acedia, sadness must first be overcome. In order to drive out sadness, anger must be cast out beforehand. In order to extinguish anger, avarice must be trampled on. In order to eradicate avarice, fornication must be repressed. In order to overthrow fornication, the vice of gluttony must be disciplined. But the two remaining ones, vainglory and pride, are linked in a similar fashion. Like the vices that we have spoken of, such that growth in the first becomes the start of the second, for an overflow of vainglory begets the beginnings of pride. But these differ wholly from those six vices and are not leagued with them, since they are not only not generated by them, but even arise in a contrary manner and order. So there's a lot to unpack here in Cassian, and I offer it to you for your consideration, largely to give you a context of how substantial this tradition in silence is. If anything, you can know that these passions, this list of vices, are the things that will appear inside of you when you become silent. And if you do experience more gluttony, let's say you're practicing wordless prayer and suddenly you have cravings for sugar or more carbs, you're not alone. The passions are trying to distract you from your prayer. And then this last bit that Cassian notes between vainglory and pride, to understand that once we overcome gluttony or we begin to even fight with gluttony, we might very quickly inevitably have vainglory and then even pride arise inside of ourselves. Look at me. I'm reading a sunlit absence this summer. Look at me. I'm practicing silence daily. Look at me. I'm learning to fast and to silence the deep urges for sugar that are inside of me. Look how spiritual I am. So these passions are deeply interwoven. I've ended up calling the spiritual path a long game of whack-a-mole as we attend to one arena of help and recovery from the sin of one passion. Suddenly, something else emerges. So don't be surprised 
as you practice this, if you find that you are struggling more rather than less with your daily sins. The goal of our spiritual progress is to come to what the desert dwellers called apatheia. Apatheos. This is without passions. And we might call this a kind of stillness, a kind of inner reckoning to know what is pulsing inside of myself. But before we can get to the stillness, often the inner noise will erupt first. So as we bring this reading to a close, I return to this last line here that's in the middle of chapter 3, page 49. Silence is sometimes like a poultice placed over a sore to draw out infection as part of the healing process. Often we don't know what we need healing from. In fact, most of the deeper areas of healing that the Spirit wants access to, these are passions, depths, hidden recesses of ourselves that we don't actively live and move and breathe with an awareness of. Because if we really saw the depths of our brokenness, most likely we wouldn't be very functional. So it's the grace of God that these things take a long time. But I invite you, as we come to a close, returning to the Jesus prayer, breathing in Jesus, and breathing out Jesus. If there were one or two things inside of you that you are aware of, something that you have a niggling suspicion of, something that you sense God could help you with. Notice those things and imagine what would happen if you had more time to see, to consider, to become familiar with What happens apart from contemplative spirituality is a kind of triumphalism. Oh, I know that I struggle with racism at some level, and now I'm done. And instead, that noticing is like the tip of an iceberg. Oh, I know that I maybe drink a bit too much in the evenings. What would happen if you sat with any of these noticings for five or ten minutes of silence, inviting the Spirit to reveal to you the further outlines, the quality, the substance of your wounding. How much more free can you imagine yourself being Is it true 
that God really wants to get at these wounds? Is it true that there is a balm in Gilead? There is a healer. Amen. So thanks again for joining in this journey. It is a delight to have you reading and studying and praying along with Father Martin Laird's wisdom. Again, the greatest gift you can give the invitation is to share this journey with someone else who you sense might be interested. I am very aware that this is a deeper arena that's not available or approachable for everyone. And I know that the contemplative path is often only effective when we go on this journey alone, understanding that we're having to move away from our community to go to a deeper place that no one else around us seems to fully understand. The hope then is that somehow as you make these courageous steps into a deeper place of trust, that you don't have to do this alone. In some ways, my hope is that the invitation becomes a, a touchstone for communities, a, a gathering place for contemplative communities for spiritual friendship. The gift of the Invitation Podcast is that you do not have to pivot out of this vulnerable space of going deeper and turn around and teach someone else what this is about. You can just simply say, hey, this has been helpful to me. This is uh, allowing me to move into a place where God is changing me more and more. And I think you might be interested in this as well. So invite someone to the invitation. Join me in that. And if the invitation is becoming substantial and helpful, something you return to regularly, it would be very helpful to have your financial support. You can leave donations on the website. There is a link at the top menu. And to give you a sense of how reluctant I am to ask for financial support, one of my dear friends only just in the last month discovered that there is a way to give these donations and to set up a monthly processing uh, so that you don't have to think about it. You can set it and forget it. It is a gift to know that there are people that believe this resource is helpful for the church and especially for support as we hopefully get back into the prison uh, within the next few months to begin again with our brothers in contemplative practices at the E.C. Brooks Correctional Facility in Muskegon. Again, it is an honor to be with you. I hope you are well. Wherever you are, be blessed. Amen.